Our text today comes from Romans 14. We're just a few chapters away from the end of this, uh, this very great book. Dense, but very, very great book. Um, we're going we're gonna to be in the first uh, half of that chapter. But before we read, I just want to invite you into uh, just a time of silent preparation to hear uh, from, from God uh, whatever it is that, that he might speak through this text. Thomas Merton uh, said, once said that in silence we wait for a word that we cannot give ourselves. And um, of all the things that we can do, there's a lot of things that we can do for ourselves in, in our life of faith. The one thing we can't do is, is receive a word of grace by ourselves. We have to listen to receive it outside of ourselves. And so um, in silence, we wait for that word. We empty ourselves and we prepare ourselves and we listen together. So before we, we read, I'm just going to invite you to take a moment. Listen now for the word of the Lord. Welcome those who are weak in faith, but not for the purpose of quarreling over opinions. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. (laughs) Right? Could spend a year on that. Some believe in eating anything, while the weak eat only vegetables. Those who eat must not despise those who abstain, and those who abstain must not pass judgment on those who eat, for God has welcomed them. Who are you to pass judgment on servants of another? It is before their own Lord that they stand or fall, and they will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make them stand. Some judge one day to be better than another, while others judge all days to be alike. Let all be fully convinced in their own minds. Those who observe the day observe it in honor of the Lord. Also those who eat, eat in honor of the Lord, since they give thanks to God. While those who abstain, abstain in honor of the Lord and give thanks to God. We do not live to ourselves. And we do not die to ourselves. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again so that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Holy God, be gracious to us as we indeed listen for a word that only you can speak. In the name of your Son, Jesus, who is our example in all things. Amen. Earlier this summer, I, uh, on vacation, I read this book by a man named Greg Boyle. His latest book, it's called Barking to the Choir. Uh, Boyle is the Jesuit priest who founded Homeboy Industries out in Los Angeles. Uh, it's the largest uh, gang intervention, rehab and reentry organization in the country, maybe I think even in the world. Maybe you've heard of it, maybe you've read one of his books or listened to one of his talks. Um, honestly, if you don't know anything about uh, Father Boyle or Homeboy Industries, like I would be fine if you Googled him for the next 15 minutes. Uh, that'd be fine. <laughs> Uh, he's worth your attention, and the work that he's doing in L.A. with gangs is, is worth your attention. 
He's really great. He's an example of someone who is just at complete ease with himself. And as a, as a result of this, he just exudes a kind of playful confidence uh, in his ministry, in his calling, and in the work that he carries out in Jesus' name uh, among the community that, that he does it. And in his book, this latest book, he tells a story about serving a high school in the 70s. And uh, after Sunday morning mass one Sunday, he says he'd grab a coffee and he'd sit in the living room, I think in the, the upper floor of their residence there, and uh, he'd just read the paper. Any preacher knows that those hours from like one to four on Sunday are, are sacrosanct, uh, unless you have like a four-year-old. <laughs> then they're different. They're just different. Uh, anyways, one Sunday he writes that, that he, he's sitting there with his, with his friend and fellow Jesuit priest, Al. Both were sitting quietly with their, with their coffee and with their newspaper, and they were reading. And uh, the doorbell started to ring uh, repeatedly. Uh, initially, he said, you know, they hid behind their papers, uh, just kind of hoping to wait it out. Um, you know, it, the, the doorbell didn't ring very often, and when it did, it was normally someone from the street who, who was in need. And uh, so finally, Al, who, who Boyle confesses is the better priest, uh, you know, puts down his paper and even without an annoying, you know, an annoyed sigh, goes downstairs to check on him. And about 10 minutes later, Al returns and kind of just picks up his coffee and his paper and, and uh, sits down and starts reading, which really got on Greg Boyle's nerves. And so he, you know, without lowering his papers, he, you know, shouts, well, and, and Al says, well, what? And um, Greg says, well, well, who was it? And he says, behind, from behind the sports section, <laughs> Al says, it was Jesus in his least recognizable form. Boyle and Al, his colleague, they take their inspiration from Jesus, yes, but from uh, St. Ignatius of Loyola, who founded this, this, uh, the Jesuit uh, religious order, the Society of Jesus. And it was Ignatius, whose attention to God's presence in all things, who teaches us probably more than any, anyone else uh, how to seek Christ in others, how to receive Christ in others. And Boyle has showed us all that the clearest task of faith is not necessarily to uh, take the right stand on issues, which as you and I both know are, are perpetually uh, open for argument and discussion and interpretation and disagreement. And when that is the clearest task of faith, most often than not, we are led away from each other. We're led away from each other. For Boyle, the unmistakable task of faith is to stand in the right places. Not to take the right stand, but to stand in the right places with and for others. And for Boyle, learning to stand in the right places begins with this recognition that we belong to each other. We belong to each other. And yet this idea of, of deep belonging seems under threat right now. I don't know if you feel it. I do. Not only are we living in a time where social isolation uh, is the norm, we're isolated more than we ever have been before. Not only that, but there's just a lot of things that are dividing us. And we're aware of them, probably more than ever before, because we, we post them everywhere. So how do we get this, this idea of deep belonging back? How do we recover what we've lost? Well, Boyle writes in his book, we could ask ourselves, I suppose, you can throw that quote up there, if God is conservative or liberal, but I think that's the wrong question. 
Instead, we should ask, is God expansive or tiny? That's a good question. Is God spacious or shallow? Is God inclusive or exclusive? Or here's the real zinger. What are the chances that God holds the same tiny point of view as I do? Zero. Here again, Paul's words. We do not live to ourselves. We don't die to ourselves. Rather, we live, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. This very short and kind of weighty theological center, uh, sentence is just at the heart of Paul's encouragement for the Christians in Rome to accept one another, to share in a single identity together, to see one another not in the ways that we are accustomed to seeing one another, right? As haves and have-nots, as those with power and those at the margins, as conservative or liberal, but to see one another as members of one community with equal standing, each of us with equal standing in that community. We discover in this text that nothing threatens this deep belonging, this, this idea of community like resentment or, or condescension. In the church in Rome, Paul is aware that there's these two groups that have kind of emerged and are at odds with one another. This one group this, uh, that Paul labels the weak is legalistic. They like vegetables. <laughs> it's such a weird part of this story. Like, it reads a little bit like a, I was telling someone like a Wes Anderson script. Like, it, why, why are the weak the ones who like the vegetables? I know that there's a reason we're not going to get into it. But as a result of this legalism, they're prone to self-righteousness. And the members of this group, they're driven by a deep desire for holiness. But in this desire for holiness, they they uh, are actually missing the grace of God. And as a result, they have become self-righteous, right? And they resent this other group of people. Presumably, we could understand them as the strong group. And the strong group, this, this group seems to have a more liberated faith. They understand their freedom in Christ perfectly well. But their freedom is actually an occasion for them now to condescend this other group. Ironically, like they're the group that has grasped the grace of God. They understand it. And yet they are failing miserably at extending that grace, as being gracious, embodying that grace to their brothers and sisters. Just show a quick hands. Does this sound familiar, like at all, to you? Yeah, great. We know what this is like, right? I mean, depending on where you are in your journey of faith, chances are that you fit in with one of these groups along the way. I mean, surely not now. We, we've, moved beyond, we've transcended these groups in the 21st century. We don't, I don't get called into meetings to mediate over vegetables, ever. The issues that divide us are different, right? But we're, we're kidding ourselves if we don't think uh, that we have practices and positions that we uh, are dug in on, right? We're not budging on them. And that these positions are leading us to either resent or condescend other people. And at this point, we might expect Paul to, to kind of correct the practices of those with weak faith, right? Or to instruct those, at least with strong faith, uh, to correct them, to persuade them to, to the right perspective. But Paul, Paul doesn't do that. This is the most wishy-washy uh, Paul you will find in the New Testament. It's very interesting. He doesn't take sides at all. He uh, is not correcting their practices. 
He's not nearly as concerned with these practices as he is with the community living together in community given that they all belong to God. That's his primary interest here in this text. And like I said, the truth is that these differences, these groups, exist here in our own community at Covenant, right? And they're going to continue to exist. And by God's grace, I hope they do. Honestly, it's way more interesting um, if, if, we're not all, if we all don't think the same way, uh, process the same way, interpret the same way. Diversity is a, great, is a great gift, right? Paul doesn't seem surprised by this fact in the church in Rome. He's not surprised that these, these groups have emerged and they're, they're at odds, right? Instead, Paul's asking that they tolerate each other. They tolerate each other, given their obvious differences. He's not asking either group to take the right stand. He's asking them to stand in the right places, ready and willing to accept one another because God has already accepted them. And this is, this is a lot easier said than done, right? This is a lot easier to read uh, than to actually enact. And I think that there's, there's two main reasons that keep us from experiencing the kind of community that Paul talks about here. There's two main reasons. The first is, is idealism. Idealism. Many of us are idealists when it comes to Christian community. Uh, in his experience of, of building up Christian communities around the world, um, theologian and pastor uh, Jean Vanier, he started a, a community called L'Arche, which is a, a wonderful international community. He describes these three phases of Christian community, and we go over these with our, our small groups here at Covenant. The, the first is idealization. He says almost everyone finds their early days in a community to be ideal. It's like, this is great. You think you're surrounded by uh, what he calls saints or at least exceptional people that you want to be like and you want to be around. Um, this happens. If, you, if you've been in a small group or if you've come to a church that you really love, this is going this is, this is to feel very familiar to you. Um, I'm always... Uh, when, one of my jobs here is to oversee our small group ministry. And, and I'm always a little nervous when people tell me, like, our small group's great. Because um, I'm like, my next question is, like, are there human beings in it? <laughs> um, you know, because cause it's, it's not always going to be great. There's going to be probably conflict. There's going to be a, a time for you to practice patience, which is, isn't easy. There's going to be moments where you have to give mercy, where you have to forgive and to be forgiven if you're actually living authentically with each other. Right, so this first phase is, is idealism, and it keeps us from actual, real, embodied community. The next phase, uh, Vanier uh, calls the letdown, which is really cleverly titled. Uh, but during this phase, something happens. Some, some disruption um, occurs that reveals maybe some differences that had been there all along. Right? And uh, what Vanier says is that... Uh, Everything now gets on your nerves, right? They feel they are, uh, I'm quoting him, they feel they are surrounded by hypocrites who either think only of rules, regulations, and structures, or who are completely disorganized and incompetent. He says, life becomes intolerable. Sounds like my last small group. Um, I'm just kidding. That's a joke. But honestly, the, 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 the second thing that gives me a little bit of pause when, when I'm talking to small group leaders, they say, like, it just didn't work out. Or it's just not working. And my follow-up question is, are you sure? Right? Because usually when there's some sort of conflict, or usually when people say it's not working out, what they mean is like, I, we just don't really like each other. Or we're not alike one another. 
But in those moments, honestly, in those moments, if you can break through what, to what Vanier is going to call covenant, you really dis- actually discover um, true and authentic Christian community. When even though we're not alike, maybe we don't like each other, maybe we don't have the same views on everything, but in this, in this mess of Christian community, if I can stay through this letdown phase, I will discover people who accept me for who I am, people who love me for who I am, people who will offer forgiveness to me when, I'm, when I've wronged them. But it's in this letdown phase, it's in this letdown phase that most of us withdraw. Most of us leave. I just can't do it anymore. The church in Rome is in this second phase. They've discovered that there's these real differences between them, and they're at a crossroads. Do we stay? Do we go? we start something else? I think most of us have had a lot of experience with these first two phases. A lot of experience. But as I said, if we can get through to this third phase, what Vanier calls covenant, then we discover the real gift of Christian community. And it's in this phase where members of the community are no longer saints or devils. We don't pay attention to those binaries. But people, each with a mixture of good and bad, and each growing with their own hopes, their own fears, their own anxieties. Vanier says they accept each other and the community as they are, And listen to this. They're confident that together they can grow towards something more beautiful. They're confident that they can grow together towards something more beautiful. Which brings us to the second reason that I I think uh, we don't give community a chance. The second thing that keeps us from community is cynicism. Cynicism. One of the main reasons that we're unable to tolerate one another across deep differences is that we're just outright cynical about it. I know that I am. I think like nothing's gonna good is gonna come from this. This is gonna be just exhausting. Why do why do I give my energy to this? I heard someone describe cynicism once as um, the belief that nothing there is nothing new to make here. There's nothing new to make here. Cynicism, I think, like its its cousins, boredom and despair. They have this view of the world that it's finished that keeps us from working together in creative and really collaborative ways toward what Vanier says, growing towards something beautiful. The other thing that I know about cynicism is that, and I know this from personal experience, um, is that it's often a wound masquerading as wisdom. It's often a wound masquerading as wisdom. The next time that, that, that uh, you're cynical of community, and, you, and you, you think that maybe it's, it's wisdom, you might want to ask yourself if there's a wound there somewhere. Maybe you put yourself out there. Didn't work. Got burned. You took a chance at vulnerability, and you were shut down. You were condescended. You were shamed. And so you leave. You stick to yourself now. The Jewish theologian Abraham Heschel said that when two people come together, a a creative space opens between them. I love this image. A creative space opens between them. And it's in this space that God, the creator, continues the transformation of each of them. But when one of them walks away, that space is gone. It's lost. 
Jesus promises that when two or three are gathered in his name, that he will be there in their midst. And wherever Jesus is present, it is, as one of my former teacher, teachers put it, a realm of redemption. A realm of redemption, wherever Jesus is present. A place where people can learn to give and receive mercy. A place where we can uh, bear with one another in love. Even and in, in, in most especially when we're divided across lines of deep difference. I think that when we choose to stand in the right places, when we, we set aside taking a stand on the right issues, when we choose to stand in the right places with and for others, the promise underneath all of this is that we too just might find ourselves in this realm of redemption where whatever wounds we have might be healed, whatever cynicism that we have might be transformed into hope. As Vanier says it, hope that together we can grow towards something more beautiful. Let's pray together. Gracious God, you have called us together. For whatever reason, we're here. We belong ultimately to you and by extension to one another. We could think of lots of reasons not to be here. But here we are. Would you be gracious to us that we might accept one another because you have accepted us, that we might receive one another and in receiving one another, perhaps discover your son, Jesus Christ, in forms we may not recognize. In his name we pray. Amen.